Welcome to episode 198 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the magic round, Samoa, Tony Williams sacking by New York Freedom. We debate whether private ownership of clubs is better than a membership model and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 198 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, have you had a good week this week? Oh, Dr. T, I've had a great week um, this week. Obviously, uh, you know, in New South Wales, we are in a bit of a, a quarantine moment or what I call uh, restrictions moment at the moment, but look, COVID restrictions, COVID restrictions, um, which, which has caused a bit of issues with some clubs, but overall though, I'm doing pretty well. Obviously the Tigers are not doing well. So, um, but we're on again, off again at the moment. So hopefully we'll be on again this week. Um, and some, yeah, pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting games uh, over the weekend. How about yourself, the Dr. T? How's your week been? Oh, look, it's been a bit of a strange week. I mean, I've got to admit, as a rugby league fan, I was a bit perplexed by some of the the games that I saw on the weekend. Some of the scores mm. really made me question uh, reality. I think I, wow. I, I think, uh, I think we're living in the matrix, Tish, because uh, some very strange things have been occurring. Some stranger things than the stranger things on Netflix. But look, uh, it's really, really odd, and so I think we need to sort of dive into it and, and see what else has been happening in the world of rugby league. But look, it's uh yeah, it's, it's it feels a bit strange. It feels a bit like yeah. something's not quite right in the world of rugby league. Put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Well look one person who is celebrating all this uh unexplained nonsense is actually uh William Shatner. Uh because I did catch <laughs> a show, The Unexplained, and perhaps they might do a special on unexplained rugby league mysteries. Um like, uh, <laughs> well, like, you know, this starring PVL, starring PVL. Dressed, dressed as William Shatner. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That could, that could, that could totally, that could totally work. And they could, uh, you know, just, yeah, talk about like, you know, how, uh, you know, how a team that has Cody Walker and Benji Marshall cannot score a point. <laughs> that's right. It's <laughs> the greatest mysteries of rugby league. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, Looking forward to a starring PVL. Oh my god, that that would be uh, that would be very interesting. But look, yeah, there's there's always lots to discuss, and we'll get to as much of it as we can. But mm. without any further ado, let's dive into our six tackles. And our first tackle is our news update. Here we go. Right. News update. So, look, there's quite a lot of things that have been happening in the news. So, there's a few big ones that we wanted to focus on. The first one is about, well, there's two ways to look at this uh, news item, Tish. One way to look at it is the Broncos have lost one of their young stars. Another way to look at it is the Storm have snapped up another young star. 
<laughs> and yeah. where did I get the money for this? So <laughs> what, <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's another question. There's two ways to look at it, like I said. But look, we're talking about Xavier Coates, who is headed to Melbourne from Brisbane. Obviously, I think he debuted last year, I believe, was it in the very first State of Origin or maybe the second one? Yes. Xavier Coates uh, made a bit of an impact there on um, on the wing uh, for Queensland. And uh, look, yeah, for whatever reason, he's decided to put pen to paper. There's a two-year deal that he signed last week. And uh, starting from next year, he's going to be uh, in the Melbourne Storm. Uh, what are your thoughts on Xavier Coates heading to the Storm? Well, wow. Look, the, the Brisbane Broncos, they, um, you know, a Bronco. What is a Bronco? It's, it's some sort of uh, horse, right? Untamed horse. Well, the Broncos are untamed at the moment. Like, you know, they're losing all their young stars. <laughs> and now we've got Xavier Coates, who's decided to leave um, Brisbane and join the Melbourne Storm. Um, so is it really news? You know, the, the Storm snap up another young player from an underperforming team who's probably going to end up, uh, you know, being an absolute superstar uh, for Melbourne. He's already a state of origin player, though. Let's, let's yeah, not forget that. Yeah, He's already true. a state of origin player and uh, not, not a bad player. I mean, he certainly performed well last year. So, you know, where do they get the money for another state of origin representative? <laughs> That's yeah. what I want to know. Well, that's a good point now because now I'm thinking about if you actually think about their, their both their wingers are going to be state of origin wingers, and Pepperhausen, um, you know he he's got a claim to to like he's probably one of the the forerunners into whether or not um you know he he can be a state of origin player alongside Tedesco and uh you know there's actually quite a lot of fullbacks when you and Tommy players. Turbo, Tommy Turbo and Gutherson like you know let's not forget. Because I think he played really well for State of Origin, right? So you actually got so many fullbacks eligible for, um, and Latrell Mitchell also playing fullback as well, right? Yeah. When he's, yeah. So yeah, and now yeah. So but but going back to the Melbourne, yeah, Melbourne being able to sign that up, and uh, yeah, I think for Brisbane, uh, it is, it's uh, it's pretty crazy at the moment what's happening there. You know, they lost for feeder last year. Uh, now we've heard uh, Xavier Coates is is leaving, and then um. You know, I think that uh, they've uh, Tom Dearden's left without even being offered a contract. Um, you know, they're trying to openly shop. Um, you know, uh, you know their big forward. Uh, yeah, uh, Matt Price. Something. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah. So like, it feels like all the players from Brisbane are sort of leaving, and then you know, a lot of people not happy with Anthony Milford. Um, you know, so Kevin Walters has got a, got a lot of headaches there at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, so so I think it. Continues for for uh, for Brisbane. Now I just wonder, Xavier Coates he signs to to Melbourne. I just wonder if Craig Bellamy decides to give it up all of a sudden. I wonder how many players would actually leave Melbourne straight after that as well, right? So that's uh, you know, you probably want to be coached by the best, which is probably what they're thinking, right? So uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, from one story of a player going from one club to another to another one, which is an update of what we spoke about last week. Look, no sooner had we spoke about Tony Williams being signed by the New York Freedom, uh, <laughs> and and all of a sudden, uh, now we have to talk about him not having a job anymore because he was wow. within this week, um, you know, decided to chime in, I think, on Twitter yeah. uh, after Jared Haynes' court case uh, you know, which we won't get into, but look, there yeah. were some comments from Tony Williams and also Chris Inu, 
who have been long, lifelong friends of, um, uh, of Jared Haynes, you know, messages of support, but some, uh, some would say that the way that they went about those messages, the, the, the content, the way it was framed, uh, was quite offensive uh, and and kind of a bit tone deaf in yeah. terms of uh, the way you know it's, it's one thing to support your a friend it's another thing to kind of cast aspersions on the victims and then that kind of thing so a lot of people quite rightly were very outraged uh, particularly with Tony Williams in terms of the language that he used etc and look no sooner had that furor erupted uh, that his his future club New York Freedom basically uh, ripped up the contract that they had. So everything we spoke about last week about how good it would be to have T-Rex over there, it's <laughs> all gone now. It's not even started. Um, yeah. Not only that, but his, his current club, Windsor Wolves, has also <laughs> has also ripped up their contract with him. So he is, even though he went uh, the next day and kind of apologetically uh, sort of tried to uh, re- reframe and, and explain away his uh, the wording and his uh, his emotional outburst on Twitter that wasn't good enough for his current and future team. So um, look, yeah, look, we're not going to weigh into the the specifics around it anymore. But I think, uh, needless to say, uh, again in this day and age, it's another one of those things that that players need to be aware of is that the way they sort of communicate on social media, there are consequences if they're not careful. Uh, that it, it isn't just uh, complete freedom of speech. It's not freedom from consequences. And some of those consequences might be that you, uh, you know, your, your team, you might be sacked from your team, your contract might be torn up. You know, it is all about the sponsors as well. And if the sponsors are scared off by, by, by players' uh, off-field antics, uh, including their opinions that they espouse on social media. Um, this is what you're going to get. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we've seen it certainly before with uh, people like Israel Folau, obviously, in the rugby and, and all that kind of thing. So this isn't a new thing. Uh, it's uh, it's just a shame that that, um, that some players can't be more thoughtful uh, when they uh when they engage with social media. So, Tish, I don't know what your thoughts are on this or uh, or shall we move on? Well, look, yeah, I think we'll move on very quickly. But, look, um, <laughs> how bad is it that you're going former NRL star, you get a good contract from the New York Freedom, but then you come out and say something silly? You know, Dr. T, I think you and I are friends. You know, if you're going through a situation, do I call you up and give you my condolences or do I go out into social media and let the world know about... <laughs> You know, my thoughts. Yeah. Like, this is an appropriate way to do things and an inappropriate way, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And look, how bad is are you going if, you know, the Windsor Wolves in the Ron Massey Cup uh, have only had one win this season, right? They are second last on the ladder, um, you know. Uh, this is like not even second division. This is like third division and you're in one of the bottom teams and you get sacked from them. So, like, you know, it's... it's uh, I think Tony Williams needs to probably reevaluate uh, some of his, uh, yeah, the way his trajectory of where his career is going at the moment. But um, yeah, but but just just a very silly move. So <laughs> I think moving right along, right? Yeah, absolutely. And look, the general point as well is that players, uh, you know, we've we've seen there's other examples of news stories and players getting into all sorts of mischief and uh, you know. They just need to be more, a little bit more careful, and and certainly the the comments that that he and and Kristen more more to the point, I think Tony's comments were more, um, 
you know, more divisive and, and more kind of, um, you know, very uh, – the comments on the media, on, on, on the internet were around how despicable his comments were. And I think I think maybe he kind of didn't uh, – you know, again, it's an emotional outburst. He didn't really understand that it could have been interpreted as victim blaming, which is – you know, the worst thing that you could do in this day and age, in this situation, uh, even though he thought, I guess, he was sticking up for a friend. And I guess that's the thing that players just need. Uh, maybe they just need a bit of a re-education of, uh, of how, to, how, how to sort of navigate social media properly and, and how, to, how to express themselves. Fancy that, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, the Neanderthals need to be brought back into the modern age. Maybe uh, that, unfortunately, that, those are the kinds of that's the kind of impression that this new story is giving people about NRL players and rugby league players in general, which is a real shame because uh, yeah, I think most people would be pretty appalled by what he said as well. Uh, even though his intentions he were good in terms of sticking up for his friend. So um, yeah, moving right along. Uh, Look, there's another another news item. Uh, I'll, I'll leave this one with you. This one is about refereeing. So yeah. take it away, Tish. Well, look, um, extremely unhappy. You know, Trent Robinson, um, you know, had, had made some comments after the, the Roosters-Parramatta game, and the NRL has actually, uh, you know, stands down the bunker officials after, you know, Trent Robinson, Robbo, they call him his spray. So the NRL bunker officials that were involved in the Friday night's clash between the Roosters and the Eels, um, you know, uh, they had missed a Dylan Brown, um, you know, potential sin binning, uh, you know, and um, and sort of you know legs to the to to the back of a player, and then I think there was also a shoulder charge that um, that Tedesco also had suffered as well. Um, Drew Hutchinson, uh, you know, in the in the in the Dylan Brown case, Drew Hutchinson was actually hospitalised. Um, with the you know suspected uh, punctured lung, um, but the bunker officials saw it ten times. Apparently, they missed it, um, and then uh, because there was no sin bin, they couldn't bring the eighteen man player on the field. So Trent Robinson goes up and actually says that the whole you know that they were incompetent. Use the word incompetent, and as a result, um, you know the NRL has stood down the uh, the bunker officials. Now, interestingly. Um, there is news that the NRL is also investigating whether they will find Trent Robertson for these comments or not. They've obviously acted on what actually happened with the officials, but I kind of feel that, I mean, yes, they might rectify the situation of, you know, maybe this guy should have been suspended or whatever, but if he's used the word incompetent, if Ricky Stewart used the word incompetent, he would have been fined straight away, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm just kind of wondering why Trent Robertson, if he's, you know, I'm a fan of Trent Robinson, but if he's a stickler for fairness, well, he should cop the fine, don't you think, Dr. T? Like, uh, it, it's a bit weird how nobody's talking about fining Trent Robinson at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It's like, you know, yeah, it's it's so interesting you picked on, on Ricky Stewart as the example of, you know, what would Ricky Stewart do uh, yeah. or, or what would happen to him. Which is exactly my 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 thoughts as well. I think um, it's this sort of shows. Well, there's two stories here. One story is the fact that that the bunker were actually incompetent, and how the hell did they miss what was going on? And mm. you know it, that that's one story about the actual problem, which Trent Robertson pointed out, the inconsistency or incompetence of of the officials. Uh, but the other story is how the Roosters coach can get away with saying something like that without yeah. immediately being fined. Now, I guess 
in my mind, the right way to go about this is rather than not do anything, which kind of implies, you know, that he was there's some truth in what he was saying and implies uh, complicitness, complicity. I don't know what the word is. Uh, with uh, or agreement, let's just say, in NRL agreeing with uh, Trent Robertson's view, um, you know, rather than doing that, I, I guess, like, what 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 are the other options? I mean, I guess they can uh, uh, actually find him straight away, and then and then backtrack, like, have an appeals process, and then say, look shouldn't have said incompetent, but you were actually correct in pointing out a problem. So, uh, you know, we'll revoke the fine. And maybe is there an appeals process? I mean, it sounds like that there's just a, a blanket kind of fines fines given to coaches for bringing the game into disrepute, for questioning referees, as has been for quite some time. Maybe if there was an appeals process that enabled someone like Ricky Stewart to say, you know, no, I've got proof that that this is the case. That's why I said this, and you know, um, that will kind of go some way to making it look less like fair, you know, unfair advantage for the Roosters, uh, and more that maybe the NRL is trying to actually, uh, yeah, genuinely try to find a solution here to to allowing improvements in the game, but also an, enabling, uh, you know, not enabling someone to just go off. Uh, go off their rocker um, for no reason. So, you know, there is a fine balance. And here I think this, you know, it's ironic that they're probably not saying anything because they kind of agree that that there was some incompetence and their actions sort of speak louder than uh, than words and fines at this stage. So, um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, is that an approach, having an appeals process for these sort of things? Yeah, well, uh, he, yeah, I think he could. Uh, yeah, I think he should have an appeal process. I think anybody, somebody gets a fine, I think they should have a right to be able to to fight that that you know that acquisition, you know the yeah to to fight it basically. So so yeah. I think there does need to be some sort of appeal. Um, but like you know, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, Victor Bradley uh, nearly took off somebody's head and uh, was not suspended at all. And Trent Robinson didn't call, uh, you know, the NRL judiciary incompetent, did he? You know, so, um, you know, just because these decisions didn't go his way or didn't favour the Roosters, you know, he doesn't have a, a right to sort of do something that other coaches are not allowed to do. Like, you know, uh, again, you know, if there was any other coach, um, I feel like the penalty would have happened straight away. So and 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 whether or not I mean to be honest like you know I, I do feel like the coach should have a right to say so look but, but it's just if you base it on pre- precedent he should have already been fine um yeah that that's what that that's uh, I suppose what I make and yeah look um yeah like with with yeah obviously what happened they missed it they you know the bunker deemed it was their decision it's a human process you know that is that they, they deemed it wasn't a sin bin so. Um, whether it is or not, that's um, it. Probably is. I, like I, I really don't know. It's kind of. I feel like uh, the, whether somebody gets a sin bin or a suspension, it's kind of like a a lucky dip, a little bit, right? Yeah. You, you don't know yeah. what what the outcome's going to be. Uh, but for this time, for whatever reason, you know, they sort of, you know, it didn't fall the roosters' way. But a few weeks ago, it did. So, um, you know, in the end, uh, you know, all things balance out <laughs> a little bit. 
um, or yeah. So 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 just just because one one week doesn't go your way, probably you know if if all the other ref- if all the other coaches you know can't get away with it, then I don't think uh, Trent Robertson, a guy I really admire, I really like what he's doing in France. Uh, you know, former Paramount and West Tigers player, you know, so, you know, do have a bit of a soft spot, love his style of coaching, love his, you know, head injury stuff, but I don't think he should be get away with just being able to call the referees incompetent when other coaches are not allowed to do that. So um, I feel there's a bit of unfairness there. I totally agree. We need to be very consistent. That's the main thing. Uh, yeah. But look, at the end of the day, it all boils down to, uh, let's see if we've got a soundbite for this. Jeff Tuvey, we need an investigation. <laughs> I think that's. <laughs> yeah. I think this is what this is about. An investigation needs to happen. But anyway, let's move mm. on to tackle number two, and we have the last round review. So here's the round nine wrap. All right. So I mentioned earlier that. We are living in a bit of a uh, matrix, a bit of a simulation, because some very, very strange things happened. So it started off with a wholly unusual result. Melbourne Storm 50, South Sydney Rabbitohs nil uh, on the first (laughs) game. This was promptly followed by Penrith Panthers 48, Cronulla Sharks nil. I cannot believe, like, I can see the Panthers uh, flogging the Sharks, but I could not see the Storm beating the Rabbitohs by that much. And as you said, the uh, not being able to get even a point on the board was highly unusual. And then we saw the, uh, we just spoke about the Eels and Roosters match. So the Eels won that one 31 to 18. Uh, the Knights defeating the Raiders 24 16. The Titans 36 28 over the Tigers. Uh, the Cowboys and the Broncos, another nail-biter, 19-18. Uh, again, are we living in the Matrix? They seem to have consistently very close matches. Uh, and and the attendance, in case you weren't wondering, uh, was 22,222. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all twos. <laughs> I, I cannot believe that. I just, again, we're in the matrix. There we go. Manly, 38 over the Warriors, 32. Very high-scoring match there. And finally, the Dragons flogging uh, the Bulldogs, 32-12, to 12, as expected. Tish, uh, what was your what were your thoughts? What were the highlights or, or things that you want to point out okay. in round nine? Okay, so I'll just give you one highlight and then maybe two takeaways, right? So the highlight is... Um, the uh, North Queensland Cowboys Bridge Broker is probably the, the, the best game to watch. Um, there is uh, what they've called the Periscope try uh, from, um, you know, from, from uh, a, the Cowboys winger, Kyle, Kyle Felt. Uh, is it Kyle Felt? Is yeah, that, is yeah. that his name? Yeah. Um, and he always scores some really unusual tries, but this one's amazing. There's like 10 players on him. And then somehow you see the hand and the ball coming over the top and scoring a try. Uh, which is absolutely amazing. So he, he has those moments. So it's probably the moment of the of the of the round. Um, but look, Cronulla they haven't won a game uh, again ever since they've sacked the coach John Morris, and then now they've gone down to forty eight nil to last year's grand finalists. And last year's premiers have uh, beaten the Rabbitohs, a highly favoured Rabbitohs. A lot of people think the Rabbitohs can can win the grand final, fifty to nil. Um, and then that old ugly statistic comes up. 
where you know a team who has been who's lost by more than fifty points has never won that competition in that year. So does this kind of scratch uh, the Rabbitohs out of the Premiership race? If it does, you know what I think it's happened is that um cl- clearly Melbourne and and the Panthers are the be- the, the benchmark. Um, you know, and then I think Parramatta is still a very strong strong contender and are in that window to win. But, you know, Canberra have kind of fallen off this year. Um, you know, the Rabbitohs with this loss kind of shows a, a big hole in what they've got. And the Roosters without, you know, some of their key players and their injury toll and whatever, uh, I think it's kind of a three-team competition. I, I don't see anybody outside these three teams being able to win it this year based on the results we've had this weekend. How about yourself there, Dr. T? Yeah, I mean, look, Storm, Panthers, Eels at the moment sitting at the top. I still think the Rabbitohs may pull it together. And I think part of the, you know, part of the the main reason why they maybe fell apart was the whole Reynolds situation. But so I wonder whether once that gets settled. um, Now, I think the latest I've heard is that, you know, actually Reynolds, uh, you know, won't, uh, won't be... Um, you know, the the Souths won't offer him anything next year or, or that, you know, he, he, they haven't agreed to terms given they were only going to offer a one-year deal and that's not what he wanted. So if if it's the case that he's leaving, either it could lead to the whole club falling apart and, you know, since a lot of their sort of structures are around Reynolds, or it could lead to a resurgence and, and a, a renewed kind of um, focus uh, to 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 make the most of however long he's got left in that in that team. So I wouldn't discount the Rabbitohs, even though you know you see a lot of memes on the internet that say no club has ever won a premiership after getting beaten, uh, getting fifty points points uh, put on them. So possibly that you might want to strike a red line through the Rabbitohs, but I think uh, let's just pencil them uh, in a little bit because I think uh, they've still got the potential to turn things around. They've just got too much firepower. And so, yeah, I think it's still a four-horse race. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, and the other thing is, look at Tommy Turbo, what he's done to the Seagulls as well. Oh, I mean, yes. So probably the Seagulls as the dark horses there. I don't think the Roosters will recover much. I think they've got – well, at the moment they've got quite a few injuries, but I don't think they're performing well this year at all. So I don't think they're a real threat compared to the likes of the others that I've mentioned. So – it remains to be seen what Manly can do. So, um, but yeah, I would say three definitely, possibly fourth, and with a, a, a dark horse fifth, Manly potentially. This is not what I expected at this time of year, but it looks like it's shaping up like that. So, very, very interesting. Um, yeah, look, uh, some very interesting games this weekend, as we said. And do you have any last thoughts before we wrap up this wrap? Well, I think I'm. Uh, I think I've. Uh wrapped up all I could wrap. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to tackle number three, which is a is our spotlight. So here we go. All right. Tackle number three. It's a spotlight slash debate. I would say, potentially. Uh, so, Tish, over to you on this one. Uh, 
we we're talking about the 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 best kind of model for uh, club ownership, I guess. Uh, is it a private model, private ownership versus uh, club membership? What are your thoughts, and what's what's all this about? Yeah, well, thank you, Doctor T. Well, look, uh, there was an article a few weeks ago that um, you know, and it's kind of a, a familiar article too. But uh, you know, former Balmain Tigers great, you know, the legend, former Australian great, New South Wales great, Benny Elias, has uh, you know, he's he's you know, created another consortium, his 50th or 55th attempt, I don't know. It's, there's been 100 attempts by Benny Elias. Uh, but he's, you know, he's got a financially backed consortium, which is reportedly having another secret meeting to discuss buying a majority share into the West Tigers for up to $10 million. So Benny Elias, once again, trying to get a piece of the West Tigers and putting a consortium, consortium together. Um, but it just made me think the Tigers are one of these clubs where... You know, there are dual owners, but they're both leagues, clubs, owners, um, membership-based companies. And, um, you know, there is a talk of, you know, some of that might turn private. Um, and I just wanted to throw that out there to yourself, Dr. T, and, you know, and just give the everybody listening to the show, you know, a, a bit of an idea of what the history of private versus membership ownership has been in the NRL. I mean, essentially, the NRL has been very pragmatic on its approach to private ownership. Um you know, uh, a lot of the traditional clubs have traditionally rejected the even the thought of private ownership. And it wasn't uh, up until 1988 that there was actually no teams that were private own, privately owned in 1988. Um, all the teams in the competition were um, member-owned entities, um, you know, including the Illawarra team from the 1980s. I don't know why that's uh, important. Um, but then, you know, things started to change. So I believe in 1982, the Canberraians, when they were admitted, they were originally owned, but then later on in 88, they were actually sold uh, 50% interest to News Limited. Um, and that was kind of the kickoff to this whole privately owned or sort of partially owned um, entities. And then basically uh, that ended in 2002. And then, uh, you know, and then, in in the in around about that same time, you know, the formation of the uh, you know Melbourne Storm came, and they were originally owned by News Limited, so that was kind of like the second team that was privately owned. Uh, but now it's actually uh, you know it was sold in 2013 to uh, a New Zealander actually by the name of Bart Campbell, um, and yeah, so so now in the NRL at the moment you've got eight teams. I did a bit of a count, and um, I've got I've got a list of who owns what. And essentially, we still have about eight teams that are owned exclusively by a uh, you know a rugby league club uh, of some sort, and we've got eight teams that have some sort of private ownership on it. So, um, you know, for example, you know, privately owned clubs, you know, Brisbane Broncos are sixty eight percent owned by News Corp, um, and then there is a BXB uh, Limited, and then a Lake uh, Moorpath uh, sort of percentage in there. Um, and then, you know, Bulldog, Canberra Raiders are all uh, membership-owned at the moment. Uh, the Gold Coast Titans actually have two owners, uh, Rebecca Frizzell and, and Daryl Kelly, So, um, which is pretty interesting. I think, you know, the Sea Eagles are 90% owned by the uh, the uh, Penn family. Um, the Melbourne Storm also have – they actually have three owners now as well, Jer- uh, Jerry Ryan, Matt Tripp, and, and Bart Campbell. Uh, the Newcastle Knights is 100% uh, membership. Uh, you know the Warriors have a private owner. Uh, you know the Cowboys are uh, uh, Cowboys, Parramatta, and Penrith 
are all membership owned. Obviously, we all know about James Pack and Russell Crowe's involvement in South Sydney. Um, you know, St. George of is interesting because uh, 50% of St. George of is actually owned by the Wynn Corporation, who previously owned the Illawarra Steelers. So that's why there's no Illawarra's Rugby League Club um, because it, it was all owned by Wynn Corporation. Uh, and they, they own 50% of St. George of Illawarra. Uh, Eastern Suburbs uh, Magpies are membership. Oh, sorry, Eastern Suburbs Roosters are membership. And the, and the Tigers are, um, you know, 90% owned by the West Magpies and. 10% owned by the Balmain Tigers. So, Dr. Terry, I'm going to throw it out there. You know, what do you mm. think is the best model for, for a rugby league club, um, you know, to stay viable, to, to keep competitive? Do you think the membership model is sort of uh, a thing of the past? Do you think we need more private ownership? Do you think that, um, do you think that perhaps private ownership is, uh, you know, or do you think it's the other way, private uh, ownership is a bit prohibitive? I do want to point out that... Um, you know, prior to sort of uh, 1988, uh, when they're all membership-owned entities, every time there was talk of expansion, usually there was a majority vote uh, to actually expand the, you know, the league, whereas mm. expansion since 1988 has actually been quite slow. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, it went quick in the 90s. and they, uh, So I, I kind of feel that the private ownership has kind of slowed the game's expansion a little bit. But anyway, that's my thoughts anyway. But how about yourself there, Dr. Z? Uh, yeah, look, um, some good good points that you're raising. I think it's a very good discussion because uh, it's one of those forgotten things. Like, we, we, you know, certainly we talk about all the off-field things that are going on and we talk about expansion, we talk about all sorts of things. But one of the key ingredients that never gets talked about is the role of who actually owns these clubs. I mean, clubs have a say and a voice and a vote in in a lot of things in the way the game is being run uh, in many ways with the the establishment of the ARL commission uh, they've been given more of a vote um than than previously where it was run by um you know you know people like Ken Arthurson and and John Quayle and and certainly consulted with the, the clubs but didn't necessarily um you know were knew where they were coming from in terms of their interests. Whereas now there's a, you know, you kind of need to understand that, you know, there are corporations behind some of the voices here. And this does really make a difference. So when we look at, like you just mentioned all of the teams, what's interesting is to look at the ones that are privately owned. So in Sydney, we've got basically, you know, the two um, most, look, the two most winningest traditional clubs, Rabbitohs and the Dragons, have um, some measure of private ownership. Um, we've also got the Warriors. We've got the Storm. We've got, uh, let's go, Gold Coast. We've got Brisbane. Mm. And we've got, thrown into the mix there, uh, the Manly Warringah Seagulls. So when you look at that, it's basically all of the non-New South Wales expansion teams and I'll throw in Canberra as well. I think Canberra is Canberra also. I'm yeah, they're, now, they're they're actually. Uh, so what happened was uh, uh, the Canberra District Rugby League actually bought it back off uh, News Limited, which is kind of very interesting too as well. So they've actually had a change of ownership and it's actually gone back to the Canberra Rugby League Club actually owning Canberra. That's um, right, which is the way it was before. So yeah. Yeah, and look. So again, if I'm if I'm telling you what the pattern is, <laughs> the pattern is basically 
pretty much all, not not all of them, because Cowboys is an example of a. Well, let, let's let's just stay with this. We've got Brisbane again. Let me go through this again. Brisbane, Gold Coast, um, New Zealand Warriors, and then you've got Manly Souths and St George. And I believe that's it. I haven't really missed anything. Um, and when you look at it that way, what you see is an interesting pattern. The pattern being that we've got the non-New South Wales large teams, um, you know, based in major cities. So obviously I, I won't classify necessarily the Cowboys. Cowboys is more of a regional Team, you know, like it's that sure that you know they're they're based out of Townsville and Cairns, but that I wouldn't necessarily put those towns as um you know in terms of size uh, and reach uh, anywhere near a Brisbane or a Gold Coast. You know, clearly not a major city. Um, so you've got three non-New South Wales, and then you've got um uh. You've got the the you know Manly three within Sydney, so Manly, Souths, and Dragons. Now Manly's an interesting one because um, you know they've got you know there's been a bit of a struggle in the northern part of Sydney to get a team there, and we did have the North Sydney Bears there, and obviously there's been a lot of uh, change in ownership, and now it's kind of settled with the Penn family. Um, but Souths and Dragons are a very interesting scenario as well, so the clubs that have come across as the the most, you know, backed by their fans um, actually uh, have some measure of private ownership, which is very, very interesting and a bit ironic. So the reason why I wanted to point that out, because you asked me what my thoughts were on, on this, is that when you look at where, where you know, the, the clubs have, are headed, um, you can see that, you know, with Brisbane, with the Dragons, with the Rabbitohs, New Zealand Warriors that in the and the Storm in the key markets where there's the most um, uh, you know need for um, money basically uh, is where there's ownership private ownership as opposed to um, you know this grassroots driven club membership type model. Um, doesn't always equate to on-field success, as you've seen. You know, obviously Melbourne Storm can lay claim to being one of the best teams in the last decade, but not necessarily. You know, Brisbane hasn't won a title for a while, but they've been they and and the Rabbitohs, I, I guess, are two of the most successful current clubs. Um, you know, off the field and and the most secure financially uh, out of all the clubs and most popular uh, in Australia. So. When you look at it this way, in terms of, you know, the bigger markets seem to have um, and the bigger clubs seem to have some sort of private ownership and the others do not. And in many ways, you can sort of almost equate the non, uh, you know, the club membership model as as almost being a disadvantage for some of the other clubs. You know, that you're always hearing about financial struggles uh, with, with those other clubs, whereas the clubs that are privately owned in some way seem fairly secure. So I guess that's the question is, you know, there's that trade-off, isn't it? Uh, if you want long-term, more secured, uh, financially secured teams, um, franchises that can withstand the changing demands of the business, 
um, the, and, and, and all that sort of stuff, you would think that the, co- the, the especially in a COVID world, um, that the private ownership model is advantageous, I would say, um, just by looking at who, uh, you know, the, the, the simple pattern uh, that we're seeing. So if we're going to break it down a bit further, I think, look, the, the private ownership model does come with its problems. And as I said, being able as a, as a game, as a, uh, as a the ARL commission or even the NRL CEO or chairman, to be able to actually um, take into account what are the various private interests that are facing you when you're, you're giving all of these clubs a single vote or a vote each is something that we need to really be careful of because uh, what we don't want is a situation like in the NFL where you've got just competing you know, corporations. Yeah. Really, it, it, it ceases to become a club competition and it becomes, you know, corporation plaything versus corporation plaything um and and i don't want it to become that so i guess what i'm saying is there's benefits to having that private ownership but i think you need to balance it with this is a game for the people after all and we just need to find a better way to make these clubs financially secure while still retaining that connection to the people um you know to harken back to what i was saying the other day Around the uh, the the soccer, the European Soccer League uh, fiasco, you know, one of the reasons why that that was shut down straight away was because there was a huge fan backlash, um, and and I think that's kind of what we need to uh, remember here is that this is all about the fans and rugby league. If it, it purports to be the a game for the people. Um, should not be, you know, should should be careful with the way it balances private ownership uh, amongst its clubs. So anyway, that's my very long take on that. But Tish, what are your thoughts on on uh, the pattern and and or the uh, the balance issue that I just mentioned? Yeah, well, look, I think uh, yeah, it is it is all about balance a little bit um, <laughs> in these sort of situations. You know, the private ownership um, aspect of it. While in a short term and, you know, as you said, COVID situations and certain situations of the economy might seem like a good uh, idea, you've got to remember that there's going to be another factor coming into it when it comes to the finance of the club. And that is you know, the person or the entity that owns that club, whether there's another part of their group that's losing money, <laughs> right, outside the football operation. For example, you know, in 2019, I think the Penn family you know, we're losing some money in other interests, so therefore they wanted to sell Manly Seagulls, right? So now you've got to look for a new owner, new ideas, new thoughts, new budget, new way of thinking, or, you know, uh, and if they can't find a new owner and they have to file for bankruptcy, you know, this, you know the Manly Seagulls can file for bankruptcy, for example, which would then mean how does, how does the Manly Warringah team get a team up and running again, you know, whereas in the membership model, um, you got to remember, like, these franchises have been around a lot longer than any other private ownership has been around uh, in the game. Like, if you get back to 1908, there was no IBM, 
There was no Microsoft. There was no Netflix. There was no, none of these big companies existed then, but yet these NRL clubs still exist today. So the longevity of rugby league, I think, is kind of a bit more assured when you have a membership-owned model to um, to the uh, you know to, to rugby league. Um, the truth is, you know, there's no guarantee uh, of you know future earnings based on uh, TV rights, right? There's no guarantee that any owner that you know will will keep you know a passion and an interest into rugby league. Uh, like you had with Nathan Tinkler, who owned Newcastle a few years ago, but then had to sell it back, right? Um, mm. So, so there's there's no guarantee on any of that. The one thing that you can guarantee is that 100 years from now, there are still going to be people who who follow rugby league. There's still going to be fans, right? That like the the game can't survive without its fans. So, if it's a membership owned model, it kind of means, in a way, the fans are funding the sport, and you know that tradition sort of carries on, you know, like when rugby league first started, you know, it started off with a bunch of clubs who, and, you know, the, the income would come from the, the, the gate, how many people would come and watch the game. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, that sort of uh, have a, you know, the clubs would actually start owning, you know, a pub or some sort of club where people can go and sort of, you know, a community can gather around mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's how it all started. And, you know that community-based operation is still, uh, you know, it's still very much alive and quite lucrative in some places in the world. So, I kind of feel like if you want to keep rugby league on, uh, you know, in sort of truly and honest, I think I don't think there should be, uh, you know, I don't think we should push to having sixteen privately owned clubs. Put it that way. I think we're going to need to have, you know, uh, at least fifty percent of the clubs to be uh, private, you know, membership owned. Um, otherwise, I feel like the, there's too many risks in terms of the game moving forward. So, um, you know, uh, you know, what if you're the next, uh, you know, TV rights deals uh, they don't get a good deal? Like, what happens to all the uh, shareholders in all these, in, uh, you know, corporations and companies that own all these clubs? You know, what happens when they pull out? How do how do we how do we how do we go from there? You know, so. Um, mm. Yeah, but look, a lot of the, you know, a lot of times people people will, will question things, you know, well, you know, why is uh, why has the Sharks persist, you know, let go of John Morris now and 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 sign that, and I think a lot of people got to realize that sometimes the motivation isn't necessarily what's happening on the field, but it's to do with how the club is being run and funded off the field, which causes these issues, and um, you know, and and that's why maybe there are some teams that are uh, run and operated better because they just have a better idea of what they truly are. Um, I mean, you, you've got mm. that with, think about this, you know, we talked about the teams that are at the top of the ladder, you know, the Panthers, uh, the Eels um, and the Roosters are all privately, oh, sorry, are all membership owned clubs at the moment, you know? Um, uh, and then, you know, the Rabbitohs have, have a percentage of that, which is as well. Um, probably, you know, uh, you know, Canberra is completely owned as well. Probably the only club that's kind of have that iffy mark is the Melbourne Storm. So, so, but other than that, like, you know, the stronger clubs seem to be s- still a lot of the time the membership owned clubs. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, look, I think we've kind of landed on, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> there's benefits. Been- there's benefits of being privately owned, but I really, I think there needs to be a balance. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I don't know if the balance is quite right at the moment, especially when, 
if you're talking about, you know, financial kind of stability and that private ownership brings that in, look, we saw the example of it is very clear. Uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, we saw what happened once they had, uh, you know, people who are willing to put money, who are actually fans of the game. It, you, you'd be hard-pressed to sort of compare the, the way Russell Crowe has, you know, um, executed his ownership function of a Rabbitohs, uh, you know, a professional football team as, you know, comparing that to, say, an NFL kind of team owner where it's just like, you know, oh, it's someone from the, you know, from the Amazon CEO owns this, you know, that kind of thing. It's not like that at all. It's very much he just happens to have money and be famous and loves his team and thought, why not purchase the team and, and help it along? And, you know, he's, it's a loss leader as well. Like he's getting, he doesn't necessarily get anything out of it, but um, financially it, it, he's throwing money at it in a way, but it's all about the passion and it's all about being a fan. So I think that's the the challenge going forward is, uh, you know, who knows, can some other clubs, if in financial dire straits, be saved by uh, a high-profile, uh, you know, famous person with lots of money, who can, uh, who also loves a game, and you know, if anyone's out there that's a Parramatta Eels fan, um, <laughs> I'm looking at you. I don't know Ben Affleck or someone. Who's there? Anyone out there? I don't know. <laughs> we need someone because uh, you know <laughs> the others have already got their. You know, we need someone like a Russell Crowe. I don't know. He's um, uh, I don't know. Is is Halle Berry uh, an Eels fan? I don't know. We, surely <laughs> the Rock. Some, we need so, the Rock. Oh, the Rock, of course. Oh, the Rock. Let's do a Jumanji kind of uh, the Rock, Kevin Hart, and mm. Jack Black, co-owners of the Parramatta Eels. Let's get it done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Enough. Enough shenanigans. What about Arndt? For for the Eels. Yeah, well, he's he's from Yenora. Is that is that classified under Parramatta District or is that is that is that near Thailand or? Oh no, sorry, you mean in Sydney? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I yeah, I appreciate his Vietnamese. I understand that. Um, it's part of the joke. Let's move on <laughs> before we uh, before we come up with really crazy ideas. Uh, let's move on to tackle number four, which is all about the magic round. Here we go. So, Tish, everything you need to know about the Magic Round. So, let's just sort of backtrack. For those of you who don't know, the Magic Round is its something that was started in the UK, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and it's basically a round where all the games play on the, are played on the same, uh, the same ground all weekend. So, it's basically, uh, you know, like a roadshow. Uh, everything is played all in the one one stadium. In this case, we've got Brisbane being the host of, uh, and Suncorp Stadium in particular, being the host of this year's NRL Magic Round. And uh, look, yeah, what are your what are your thoughts in general about uh, the Magic Round concept? And uh, and then we'll dive into what are some of the details. Okay. Well, look, this is the second year the NRL is doing uh, the Magic Round concept. Uh, they did it in 2019. I think it had its merits, and then and then obviously last year because of COVID they had to stop it. Now they've they've gone and they've gone back to to Brisbane Suncorp Stadium, 
um, to do it all again, which I think is, uh, you know, which which is which is good because I obviously, you know, it's going to take some time for this concept to sort of kick off. So the fact they're going into the, a bit of a heartland in rugby league um, kind of gives it that ability. So I think it's a great idea. It becomes a bit like a, a Comic Con or some sort of like rugby league, you know, festival type thing. Uh, you know, that's the idea, like sort of, you know, almost like a convention uh, of, of rugby league sort of thing. And, you know, all the NRL clubs are there. So, you know, people, you know, there's going to be lots of fan activities and fan interaction and the ability, um, you know, to, to sort of, I don't know if they're going to have a marketplace in stores, but, you know, it could be a good sort of way to do that. And, um, you know, I think in other sports or in other sort of industries, they kind of use this time as a bit of a, a networking session. You know, maybe they could do something around sponsorships and, you know, people who are interested in sponsoring rugby league can go out there and talk to different club owners and do all this kind of stuff to try and sort of, um, you know, add value to the game. So I think I think all that stuff, if that's what's happening, because I, I don't know if any of that's happening at all, but if that all that stuff is happening, I think the concept's going to work. Um, probably the only thing I'd like to see is that now we've, now we know that the next team is going to be in, in Brisbane. And so, you know, it, it makes sense that Suncorp's been there for two years. But I'd really like it to go to another city next year that is sort of, um, you know, going to be the precursor for an 18th team. So maybe a place like Perth or Adelaide or or uh, PNG or, or even New Zealand or, or someplace like that where they kind of badly, um, they kind of, you know, you want to sort of promote the game. You know, maybe, uh, and I know the Auckland Nines was a bit of a, a failure, but because the Warriors haven't had, um, you know, any home games for the last two years in uh, in their homeland, maybe it might be a case of taking the game, taking the Magic Round to New Zealand next year. Maybe that might be the option. But uh, that's my overall thoughts on uh, the Magic Weekend. What about your thoughts, Doctor Two? Uh, yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I think it's an interesting concept that we've, you know, again, as you said, it's the second time that we're doing it here. In Australia, does it work is the real question. Is that kind of a festival approach successful? Um, you know, I, I feel like with the within the COVID environment, we haven't really given it a proper test to see if it will work. So I think whatever the case may be, if it doesn't get the sort of level of support that they expect, I think the NRL needs to pursue it further and think about this idea of a festival uh, i like the idea of having certain rounds that are you know somewhat special and this, in this case it's it's a chance to kind of you know a bit of a roadshow as i said take take rugby league take a whole round to a particular city get cities to bid for it you know it's going to bring in a lot of money because people are going to go in and you know there's a lot of people that chase chase their clubs um, wherever they go and are willing to pay money for one, you know, at least one a year um, kind of a bit of a bit of a holiday, maybe short holiday. If Melbourne gets it one year, you know, there'll be lots of people going down to Melbourne, flights going down to Melbourne and hotels being booked out, etc., so that people can have a, make a weekend of it. Um, if you're a footy fan and you also want to be, do a bit of travelling, again, the opportunities are endless. So I think the idea of a magic round, I think, is really great. Um, let's look. Let's dive in because the, the purpose of this is to kind of give people a bit of a, a rundown of what's happening, everything you need to know, basically. So we'll go through some uh, some of the key bits of information that I've seen uh, on the internet about this. And so look, it starts off with a double header on Friday, May the fourteenth which is the Tigers versus the Knights at 6 p.m. and then the Seagulls and the Broncos 
uh, which is the main TV game at 8.05 p.m. And it's followed up with uh, three games in on Saturday, the May the 15th, which is the Bulldogs and the Raiders at 3 p.m., um, the Sharks and the Rabbitohs at 5.30 p.m., and then the main event, Roosters and Cowboys at 7.45. And then on Sunday, we've got another triple header, Warriors v Eels at 1.50 p.m., then we've got Storm v Dragons at 4.05, and then Titans v Panthers at 6.25 p.m. Uh, there is going to be uh, live entertainment uh, throughout. So that we're going to have on Friday, Sneaky Sound System is going to be there for, I believe, uh, is it the halftime? The halftime, yep, the halftime uh, sort of entertainment slots. On Saturday, we're going to have the Stafford Brothers. And on Sunday, Busby Maru. Now, <laughs> I think I only really – I think I'm showing my age here, Tish, because I only really recognize Sneaky Sound System. I don't really recognize the other names. So I think potentially potentially they could have gone for some bigger stars to bring yep. in <laughs> to bring in people. But um, but look, it is what it is. I think they're, they're sort of local, local talent, so that's really good. And obviously in, at this point in time, you can't really bring international people from the US. So, um, But I was sort of, yeah, a bit disappointed that they couldn't go on for – they could have gone for bigger Aussie names uh, potentially. But uh, be that as it may, I think uh, maybe they just wanted to stick to sort of homegrown Queensland talent uh, and – and give give some of those others a, a, a bit of a bit of a go there. Um, so that's a lo- there is going to be live entertainment. I'm pretty sure there's going to be other things going on uh, and at or around Suncorp Stadium. I can't really find much information on it though. There are tickets that you can still buy. Um, single day passes from thirty nine dollars and three day passes from ninety nine dollars, which is really good. And TV, so all the games are going to be broadcast on Fox League and KO in Australia and Sky New Zealand in New Zealand. Uh, and uh, the the free-to-air ones are going to be Seagulls v. Broncos on Friday, Roosters v. Cowboys on Saturday, and the Storm v. Dragons on Sunday. They're going to be live on Channel 9 in uh, New South Wales, Queensland, ACT in the Northern Territory in Australia, and on the GEM channel, and which is the secondary uh, channel, free-to-air channel, uh, Victoria, South Australia, Western Australia, Tasmania, uh, and nine now nationally. So, and obviously overseas, you can watch, uh, if you are overseas, you can watch the NRL via the NRL website as well. Um, and I believe, yeah, I think that's there's an app as well that you can possibly do it through. So, look, um, yeah, that, that, that's the main sort of uh, information that we have on on what's going on i'm sure like i said there's going to be a lot of festivities and and things here and there that that you know this is this is the the way to do as a carnival kind of uh, carnival round and look the only way that i could suggest tish that this could be even better than what the uk started is to have it potentially not called the magic round maybe call it the carnival round and mm. and Look, I would say to make it really interesting, maybe make all the players wear red noses and <laughs> face paint. Yeah. So they all look like clowns. And, you know, do it for Red Nose Day as well. Let's combine it, do it for, for charity. And potentially the captains have to wear those big uh, clown shoes just to make it interesting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> what, what, what are your thoughts? Can we call it the carnival round? 
and just uh, and make it a bit of a festive clown related carnival yeah. atmosphere. Well, I've got to say, like, what's magic about it, right? Like, you know, if you're really going to dissect, you know, the concept of magic round, uh, you know, like, yes, all the teams are playing, but really, is that is that is that kind of magic? Like, so I think I think I think you're onto something with carnival, you know, Cirque, Cirque de la football. Uh, you know, there's there's probably some there's probably a concept there, uh, and making it stand out a bit more different. You know, like um, you know, well, I mean, it's kind of weird because you have so many different jerseys. Uh, every round's got a new jersey. It feels like right, and uh, and you know, kind of, <laughs> I don't know if that sort of helps when it comes to branding and symbolism and stuff like this. But then, um, yeah, but maybe 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 uh, you know, we could have a, another sort of um, another sort of uh, theme to it. You know, Brisbane's not really near the water. Maybe we could pick a location that's kind of in, uh, you know, near near the water sort of thing, and do a like a, you know, beach rugby league round or something like that. Um, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's it's is rugby. Is this the way that the NRL should actually do? Should should every be, weekend be a magic round into a different location, a bit like the Formula One? You know, um, so you got you know magic round uh, USA and magic round Canada and magic round Bahrain. You know. Um, and, uh, you know, Monaco magic round sort of thing. Like, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's the future of this thing. So I think the possibilities are endless and limited at the same time. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure whether that's going to be a good idea for, uh, memberships though, because <laughs> can you imagine you pay for a membership and you only really get to see your <laughs> team game. at home once a year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be very interesting. Yeah. But look, I like the idea. I like you thinking outside the square, outside the box there, Tish. Uh, but yeah, I think I think there's some more that we could do. But I think, look, to be honest, I, I honestly thought last weekend was magic round because, uh, you know, someone made the South Sydney Rabbitohs uh, scoring potential disappear. Uh, <laughs> so right. the magician was there and, uh, you know, no one could pull a rabbit out of their hat, put it that way. So, unfortunately for the rabbit, look, let's move on to the next tackle, which is tackle number five, League Around the World. All right, so League Around the World, we are continuing the conversation about mm. Samoa and obviously – we we spoke about the uh, the suggestion that the Johns brothers and uh, Sonny Bill Williams put their hand up to coach Samoa, uh, and this week, despite being rejected, uh, there is uh, you know Andrew Johns has sort of doubled down on this, and he's quite optimistic about Samoa's future. And the quote that he gives is uh, as follows. I have no doubt that if the Samoan team get together and get the right team there and the right people behind it, I've got no doubt in the next five to ten years they can win a World Cup. Look, that is huge, huge statement from Andrew Johns, one of the immortals. And uh, Tish, the, what you know, this, this week I believe there's been a bit of media around Andrew Johns sort of... Um, you know, uh, unveiling a bit of what was said and what was discussed between himself, his brother Matthew, and Sonny Bill Williams, um, and and yeah. So what what's the what's the latest on that? And what do you think about Andrew Johns's optimism about Samoa's future? Yeah, well, look, um, just following on obviously from last week, um, you know, like I think a lot of people when they first read it 
kind of felt that this is a bit of fake news, like maybe it's just, you know, people sort of doing it. But, um, you know, Andrew Johns has come out and actually said, no, no, we've definitely thought about it. We've talked about it. We've had a discussion to it. We've, um, I don't know if they ended up approaching the board of the Samoan Rugby League, but they definitely did approach some players. And look, the current coach, Matt Parrish, um, you know, he's still the coach and, um, you know, he's kind of been backed to um, to sort of continue on as coach. Um, you know, he has has uh, apparently or reportedly um, welcomed the involvement of the Johns brothers and Sonny Bill Williams, um, who, who himself has got a, uh, uh, you know, so it, it actually comes from Samoan heritage. Um, he's actually welcomed their sort of input into the into the into the uh, lineup. However, Andrew Johns also mentioned that um, you know they actually have not discussed it with Matt Parrish at all, and um, you know, I think they're more under the guise of doing it on their own, uh, which is kind of interesting too. So there's probably a story behind that. But interestingly, um, I like his thought process of what he actually says of why Samoa and maybe not Tonga, who are actually a bit ahead of Samoa and, and Fiji and some of these other guys, why he thinks Samoa can win the World Cup and basically comes down to the fact that, you know, in his opinion, and I think it's a pretty valid opinion, um, you know, he basically said, look, I look at Tonga, but you look at the Samoan team, the difference between them is Samoa has out-and-out world-class halves. They've got Jerome Luai and Dylan Brown, um, but whatever reason, they just haven't been able to fire. And I've got to agree with Andrew John here because, you know, uh, Jerome Luai is obviously at the Panthers and he is, uh, you know, probably one of the best players in rugby league at the moment. Um and Dylan Brown is not too far behind at Parramatta, who are what in third spot, you know, on the ladder at the moment. And again, you know, mm. from you know, from from two of the top teams, if they're the halves combination, um, that definitely adds uh, credence to the fact that this team can actually do well. Um, you throw in a guy like Stephen Crichton, um, who's done well at fullback for the Panthers. If he slots in at fullback for Samoa. Uh, you got, you know, uh, Toho as well. I think there's another player at the Panthers, um, you know, who's a front rower. Um, then you've got uh, a front rower in Parramatta as well. I mean, pretty much within the top six sides of um, the NRL at the moment, you can actually field a pretty much, you know, uh, you know, close to a 17-man squad just based on the, the top six teams alone. Um, so when you think about it like that, you kind of wonder – why hasn't Samoa done better than what they already have? And uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, this could be the, the starting, uh, the you know, the, the genesis of it as well. Uh, and lastly, the five to ten years, I think the reason why that's realistic is because both Jerome Luai and Dylan Brown are very young into their careers. So there's at least ten years of international football ahead of them. Um so building building a squad around these two players, um, you know, having that long term view, I think Joey's right. I think I think Andrew Johns is perfectly right. So uh, yeah, but it's just a matter of getting the right coaching and having the right uh, strategy, and and obviously being able to motivate the players uh, to be able to want to excel at the international level. I think it's very exciting times for international rugby league if 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 they get given a chance, and and hopefully the Samoan rugby league can could somehow get them involved, if not running the show. But what, what about your thoughts, Dr. T? Uh, yeah, look, I've got to agree. I think um, Andrew Johns obviously 
he's got a bias towards the halves, so he's going to focus on the halves. What bothers me is when he says, but for whatever reason, they haven't really fired. And I don't know if he's talking about the players or or the team. So if he's yeah. talking about the players, I think, well, they haven't really been chosen <laughs> in the Samoan team. I think Jerome Luai has played for them in the past, but I'm not sure if, if you could say he's been a stable kind of uh, stable, stable force there in the halves. Whereas who do they have? Well, they've got players like Milford uh, have constantly been there, thereabouts in, in the halves. So, and he hasn't really performed either. So look, I mean, I guess if you look at the current squad, um, or the most recent squad that we've seen, which played a couple of years ago, in fact. Yeah, as you mentioned. Uh, well, Jerome Luai, didn't he play hooker recently? So, yeah. he, so he wasn't even in the halves. We had Milford there. So they, you know, talk about Dylan Brown. It, you know, they've never really played together. So, yes, I agree with Johns, uh, Andrew Johns, that this is a potential... Um, goldmine in terms of players that are in form and in form for two of the better teams in the league at the moment. Um, you know, without, without Luai, I'd, I'd, I would guess that Nathan Cleary would have, uh, you know, a lot more difficulty, uh, you know, being, being the, the, the presence that he has within that team. I think they sort of feed off each other. Similarly, you know, with the Eels, I've been saying for quite some time, you know, that everyone talks about Mitchell Moses, but really it's Dylan Brown's work that allows Mitchell Moses to do what he does. And you kind of yeah. need both of them there. So um, th- th- that's a key. And as you said look, earlier, you got Martin Tapao there as well, although I think he's retired. You know, Junior Paulo. If I look at the squad of the most recent squad, uh, Jermaine, Izako, etc. You mentioned some of these names before. Uh, we're going to see a whole bunch of new players hmm. um, when they next meet, uh, when they next play together. So it's um, the other thing is that a lot of them, it was a bit of an aging squad last time they played in a major competition compared to Tonga. And so that's something that we need to kind of take into account as well. But I look, I agree with Andrew Johns's views. I think... Uh, the right ingredients are there. What you need is someone to bring it all together. I mean, look, we've seen it constantly in the NRL. You can have a bunch of star players, but unless you've got a coach like Wayne Bennett that knows what to do with them, um, you'd be struggling to get to even the grand final. Um, and so that, it's the same thing in the international game. I agree with Andrew Johns, the idea that, you know, we really do need the Samoan team to to step up and, and take that next level and next step up and take advantage of these great players, this great generation of players that have come in at the same time. Um, You know, what we need is a real genuine threat from Samoa and Tonga at the next World Cup. And all of a sudden that will bring, we will be talking about a whole new world of rugby league uh, with, you know, we'll be talking about five or six genuine genuine contender nations for a World Cup, which is unheard of. I mean, you know, in in our lifetimes, Tish, we've 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 basically have seen 
Australia or nothing and one fluke win by New Zealand, which was not really – no, I wouldn't say fluke win. It was a win uh, in a World Cup, but it wasn't really backed up with long-term plan, yeah. sustainability. Yeah. Whereas potentially if we do it right with some of these South Pacific na- – I mean, you know – Samoa and Tonga in rugby union, which let's be fair, is our competitor sport in the South Pacific Islands, have not been at all successful, at all. None of them have ever made a World Cup final. Um, none of them have ever defeated, uh, you know, one of the bigger nations. Uh, you know, whereas here we are sitting on the most recent boil over win of a Tonga invitational team. Um, you know, over the Australian kangaroos. So let's let's take advantage of that and see what can be done in Samoa. And I would take it even further and say what can be done with a similar model in Fiji. Um, yeah. Really, there's a, a potential there to add another team into the mix. Um, let's do it. Let's see what we can do and build up all these teams so that we can get genuinely competitive competitions and uh, and and tournaments and, and World Cups uh, into the future. So those are yeah. my views. Um, shall we go into the final round, the final tip, the uh, final yeah. tackle, sorry? Well, <laughs> no, we no, that, that's fine. Oh, well, just, just before you go, just, just um, one final thought is that, look, I, I, I did pull up um, their last performance, which was actually in, uh, on the 22nd November in 2019. And, yeah, as you said, the, the squad was ageing, but it was – a 17-man squad of everybody was playing in the NRL at that stage, mm. and you had Luai at, at seven. But they lost against Fiji, 44-18, so they got trounced. But if you actually look at the Fijian squad, uh, hardly any, like probably half the squad was playing in the NRL at the time, and the other half were like, you know, sort of coming off the bench or even some people that were from the local competition in Fiji. So, um, you know... Uh, even though they've had NRL experience, it's uh, they haven't been able to find. I think that's what Joey's comments around that is. So I think there is probably some sort of, uh, and I know that Ricky Stewart, um, you know, there was a report that um, he was very unhappy with uh, Josh Papali's, uh, you know, uh, sort of stint for Samoa because he came back 10 kilos heavier after the squad uh, in the last World Cup. Um <laughs> And I think the same thing happened with uh, with Junior Paulo. So there is probably something about the way they prepare for these games that may not necessarily uh, align with a team that actually wants to win the World Cup sort of thing. So uh, I think if they can rectify that, I, that they are the next threat, I feel. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, exciting times in the World of Rugby League, uh, International Rugby League, for sure. Yeah, oh, look, I'm going to add in my my postscript comment to yours because I think I think a lot of it does have to do with the players. They they, they just haven't had the cattle there compared to compared mm. to a Tonga, and I I believe anyway. And so, yes, there is that element of uh, you need to do something with your players, but but I think part of the issue has been that they haven't really had the players. But let's if we just pick out of the players that are playing this year. Um, and pick uh, that are that are available. I mean, uh, that would be available. We've got players like, um, yes, we've got Milford and Izako, but you've got potentially Carmichael Hunt, Payne Haas, as well. Um, Tino Fulisoma Ale. 
Oh, yep, I, I agree with that. Uh, ben Teo, <laughs> Josh, Josh uh, you know, is it Papali or uh, Papali? Uh, I think Papali'i, I think is what is the way the way to say it. So apologies, we haven't we have never said it correctly, but now we're being corrected by others. Um, now there is and, another Parramatta Papa Lily as well, who's been doing pre- pretty well as well, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, g- there's others like George Tafua. Uh, and Moses Leota. And we're not... Um, sorry? Moses Leota. That's right. Uh, who else? I'm just looking through some of the lists. This is potential... The ones that stand out, obviously, we talk about Junior Paulo, Dylan Brown. Uh, Isaiah Papali'i, that's the one. Um, yeah, that's it. And you mentioned Stephen Crichton, Jerome Luai, we talked about, Brian To'o, and who else? Um Look, quite a quite a few. I don't know if Josh Maguire is considered there. Joseph Suwali as an up and coming player as well. Uh, Nofaluma, etc. Um, is Sofiti? No. Am I am I mistaken? Who is the? Uh, is there a Cowboys player there somewhere? Yeah, Sofiti, right? No, but he's not there. So look, and then in the UK, obviously in the UK, you've got other players as well. Um, you know, Sam Cassiano. Oh, Sofiti's Fijian. Sorry. Oh, apologies. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, Ken Sio, um, others as well. Thomas Luluai, uh, and obviously Chris and Inu as well. So, look, you've got quite a few star players, which, you know, if you look at the last time they played together, um, they didn't have any of these star players. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the players that are star players in key positions are now genuinely almost best in the league in their positions. This is unheard of. So it does have a lot to do with having the right cattle there and the right players who are firing at the same time. And, you know, Tonga took advantage of the opportunity, the opportunity and, and the, the, the fact that they were all firing at the same time and look at what they achieved. So definitely I agree with John's um, and yeah, let's watch this space. So look, let's move on to our final one. Final tackle round 10 tips, magic round. Here we go. Right, so uh, last week we both had dismal performances. We've got four out of eight, which brings my total this year to 47 and yours to 39. Tish, tips coming up for Magic Round. Here we go. Uh, actually, have we got the right ones? I'm not sure. Yeah, we so West Tigers, Newcastle. Do you have that? Oh, is it the one? Yeah, okay. Tigers v Knights. Tipping the Tigers. I, I I would expect nothing less. Uh, same here. <laughs> okay. Same here. Same here. Uh, sea Eagles and Broncos. Look, Sea Eagles, I think, uh, as long as Tommy Turbo's there. I heard Turbo's fit, so I'm going to tip the Sea Eagles. That's what it comes down to now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Bulldog Raiders, I think, in uh, well, the, uh, the the Ricky Stewart Cup. Um, Raiders for mine. Uh, oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to tip the Raiders because uh, – Although their second half performances, I think, are ninety-eight to six in the past six rounds. So yeah. Well, this could be the first ever nil-all draw in the NRL, <laughs> based on current performances. Cronulla Sharks versus South Sydney Rabbitohs, coming off smashings in the previous round. I still think Rabbitohs will bounce back, so I think they'll win this one. Potentially the Adam Reynolds Cup. I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's the other rumor that's gone around. Um, Roosters v Cowboys. Um, look, I think the Roosters will win this one, but just. Yeah, I'm going to go an upset here. I think the Cowboys uh, in Brisbane can upset the Roosters. You don't usually play that well in Brisbane, so yeah. That's right. Um, Warriors and Eels. Look, I think the Eels will win this one. Yeah, I'm tipping the Eels in this one as well. Storm v Dragons. Now, Tish, (laughs) I'm going to go for the Dragons. Whoa, that's a tough call. This will be the upset of the season, I know. But I have, I feel it in my bones that the okay. Dragons are going to do something. I, I'm going to tip the Storm because I think ever since the Storm have entered in the competition, they've had the wood over the Dragons just about every time. So <laughs> um, I think it's going to continue. Come on, boys. Let's do it for that 99 grand final. Um, all right. Titans v Panthers. Uh, Panthers for mine. Mm. Uh, yeah, look. Oh. I'm gonna, yeah, oh, that, yeah, I'm going to tip... The Panthers, but I won't be surprised if the Titans can't tackle, but they can score tries, and uh, the Panthers <laughs> can tackle. But I don't know. I mean, even though they won quite handsomely, I don't know. Sometimes they they get uh, yeah their attack gets yeah. So I'm gonna look. I'm gonna tip the Panthers. Uh, yeah, but uh, it could be closer than what we all think. Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tish. It's been a a mammoth episode uh, as we head towards our bicentenary 200 in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to a big one there. But uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to us, everyone out there. Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the uh, time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.